we started a series last weekend. Pastor Jeff did a great job. And it's simply called RSVP, Thou Shalt Party. <laughs> Jeff says potty. I say party. And um, it's, it's really, a, it's going to be a fun series. It's a good summertime series. Kind of every weekend is a standalone topic. But we're looking at five or six different feasts from the Old Testament that the Israelites celebrated. These are feasts that God wanted them to do. It was like his command, like do this every year so that you will remember something. So that's, that's the power of, of, of remembering is, you know, when you, when you have someone's birthday every year um, or you celebrate an anniversary every year, it's, it's, it's a reminder either that you're getting old or that you've been married a long time uh, but it's a reminder of something. And we have the joy this weekend of talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Ooh, that just sounds thrilling, doesn't it? Wow. And I happen to get this one of all the ones, Unleavened Bread. Actually, it is really a, a fun topic once I explain what this feast is, if you don't know. We've, we've sort of called it Holiness for Today. Because this feast is very important. It involves leaven, which is yeast. How many of you have ever worked with yeast in, in bread? Okay, look at it. A lot of bread makers here today. My grandma did this, but I never knew about the yeast, honestly. Um, my mom did it occasionally. We, we just buy bread at our house. How about you? you know? um, but some, somebody's putting yeast in it somewhere. I'll tell you where I got exposed to yeast. It was... In high school, in my junior year, a bunch of buddies of mine, we decided we were going to take a class taught by Mrs. Brown called Bachelor's Survival. <laughs> Most practical class I ever had in high school. And we learned how to cook. We learned how to, like, use the oven. We cooked a roast in there. We learned how to sew, not on machines, but, like, buttons and stuff. And uh, it was really fun. And that's where I got exposed. One of the weeks was making bread. And so we got the flour and made the dough. And, and, and she told us that we're going to add the yeast. And it was a big deal. You had to do it just right. And the water had to be the right temperature. And this is alive, which was really creepy to me. And I'm going to eat this and it's alive. It's like. And so, so then we had these balls of dough about that big. And the next day we came back, what happened? They're this big. If you did it right, <laughs> they're this big. That yeast expanded. It grew. This whole feast of unleavened bread kind of associates leaven or yeast with sin and bondage. And if you have a little bit of it in you, it will grow and expand and ultimately take over your life. So this all came about in the nation of Israel way back in Exodus when the Israelites had been in bondage to the Egyptians for like 400 years. So let's pull out our outline on the back of your program there. And let me just start going through this. Let's try to understand this feast. That's the first thing I want you to jot down. Let's just try to understand it, what it is. Sometimes people think it's Passover. But Passover is only a 24-hour period. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts for seven days and nights, with the beginning being Passover. So that's why it gets kind of confusing. So on the evening of Passover, God told the Hebrew people, 
They were exiting Egypt, and this is, this is where it all started, so this is a very important part of this message today. He said, I'm going to release you from Egyptian bondage. As a matter of fact, it's going to happen really fast. The Pharaoh's going to say, you can go, and you better pack your stuff, have it ready. And he says, don't even put leaven in your bread for the journey. In other words, there's not going to be time for it to rise and then bake. Just make it, bake it, shake it, cake it. No, he didn't say that. He said, just make it. He said, just make the bread and bake it, and then boom, get out of there. You're on the move. So what happens is this feast is about Israel coming out of bondage hastily. And it's proving a point that you and I are instructed to run from sin and bondage. God has made a place for us to have freedom. We don't have to live in Egypt. We don't have to be in bondage. As a matter of fact, move quickly from that. When sin comes into your life, get it out fast and go toward the promise of God. That's what this feast is. That's what it's all about. And it was a reminder that God had delivered them from Egyptian bondage. And God told them in the future they were going to commemorate this day. And they were going to bring their kids together. And they were going to say, this is what happened on that day. God said, don't even put leaven in your bread because I'm going to open the doors for you to exit. And I'm going to do miracle after miracle. And you don't have time to let the bread rise. So today we're going to talk about how we keep our lives from letting the leaven or the yeast come in and blow up in our lives, ruin our hearts, our minds, our relationships. What does it mean to be holy? And it's, it's not an easy thing, but is it possible? It's possible for you to be pursuing holiness in your life. And that's why we have to talk about it. Number two, this is a celebration designed for remembering. The whole feast, and I'm going to read the technical part of this in just a second, out of Exodus 13, so you can get a feel for it. But it's, it's all designed so that kids will remember, people will remember, and they won't forget what God did. Do you ever forget what God does for you? Man, you, you, just, you, you forget that he showed up 10 years ago in that moment when you needed him desperately, or last year, or last summer, or whatever. Exodus 13, 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory or your houses, your area. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep his, this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So a normal family that celebrates these feasts, they would, they would on Passover, they would, they would take their kids outside and they would say, you guys wait here. And then they would take bread with leaven in it, yeast in it, and they would go hide it in their house. They would hide it in the closets, places it would never be normally, to try to help the kids not to find it. And so they would come back outside and say, all right, kids, go get all the leavened bread because we got to get it out of our house. 
And the kids would run inside, and man, they search, and they, they turn over the cabinets and crawl around. And every, every place that they, they think mom and dad may have hidden leavened bread, they're going to find it, and they get it all out. They bring it all out into the yard and burn it. And it's then that the parents will say, this is why we did this. This is what happened to our ancestors. This is when we left the bondage of Egypt and we didn't have time to put leaven in our bread. And so God delivered us. Just like you got all of that bread out of that house, that house has no leaven in it today. And we want to keep leaven out of this house. This is where God now abides. Let's not forget that. So yeast has that. There is a scripture, uh, Jesus uses yeast as a positive way, in a positive way once in scripture. But typically it's used as a negative and, and sin. So what does this mean? If we're, if we're supposed to be holy, how are we going to achieve this? How are we going to become more holy tomorrow than we are today? Is there a secret potion? No, there isn't. We live in the culture today where Jesus has died for our sins, right? He left the earth and sent the Holy Spirit. So our, our generation has the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us so that we can live a holy life. It does not mean we will not be tempted. Now this is very important before I do anything else. You're still going to be tempted in this life even though you fully belong to Jesus and you're striving for holiness. You will always face temptation. Number three in your notes. I want to talk about the difference between legalism and holiness. Legalism and holiness. I hope I can do this justice because it's very important that we get this right in how we live our lives. The desire to be holy is a worthwhile desire. It's a great goal and we should strive for it. But here's the problem, and this could be one of the biggest things I say all morning, so please try to digest this. We tend to make holiness all about behavior. So it's what I do. It's the habit. It's wrong. It's an addiction. It's a behavior. When truthfully, holiness is more about the condition of your heart. As a matter of fact, I, I would say holiness is living in the moment with guidance and strength from the Spirit giving it to me. It is kind of a dependence on God and an acknowledgement of God in everything I do in my life. Everything. Holiness is being faithful to the truth that God has brought into my life. Holiness, putting it simply, is obedience to God and continued obedience to God. Will that affect my behavior? Yes. But if I focus on my behavior, I'm probably not going to fix it. If my heart, if my heart doesn't change, that behavior is going to come right back into my life. So it's really important that we understand how big this is. Legalism, on the other hand, is a rule that is established with the intent of helping me to stay holy. But it's a, it's a rule, man-made rule. The Pharisees had thousands of man-made rules. Let's say someone has a real problem with gossip, and they gossip all the time. And someone points it out to them, and they go, you know what, you're right, I'm a gossiper. I'm not supposed to be gossiping, so I'm going to stop. 
And then they get in a conversation and someone comes up and they just gossip, gossip, gossip. Say bad things about other people and they go, I'm gossiping. You know, the spirit reminds them, they nudge them. I'm gossiping, I've gotta stop gossiping. So they get an accountability partner, they go to a class. This is a big exaggeration, but just, just stay with me. They finally realize they just can't quit gossiping. So they make a rule that they're never gonna talk again in their life. That's legalism. It can be effective, but God didn't say never talk again. He said don't gossip. But legalism puts fences around what is sacred. And then uh, to take it to another step, it would be that that person demands that their whole family never talk, so they never gossip. It's like what what if there was a command? One more illustration. What if there was a command that, that God said, thou shalt not walk in a ditch? Okay, there is no command that says that, okay? So the Pharisees would look at that command and go, wow, we better not walk in a ditch. This is a command straight from God. So we're going to make another law, a man-made law that says you are not allowed to walk on a road that has a ditch. That way you'll never walk in the ditch. And they would look at it a year later and say, we need to add a new law that says you can never visit a town that has roads with ditches. And I'm not kidding. That's what happened with pharisaical law. That's why Jesus had such a hard time with these guys. Because they just kept putting burden and burden on people. And they couldn't bear it. We cannot be holy by trying to just work on our behavior. It never works. The only way holiness is going to be a part of our lives is if we examine our hearts to find out why we keep running back to that sin. Something is causing us to drink too much. Something is causing us to go after a new relationship that I shouldn't be chasing down. Something is wrong in me. There's a void in my life. I've got to get that fixed so that I can walk away from all of this stuff and pursue with passion my life with God. So rules are not going to do it. Just just in, in the context of this, let me say, there were 613 rules for Israel in in Moses' law called the Torah. But then what happened is the Pharisees kept adding rules to make those rules never get broken, kind of like the ditches and the roads. So they had thousands of them. God only said, you only need these, and this will work for you well. And so they just didn't quite get that. I want to just say this. There are several things that must happen for you to live a holy life. And they're not in your notes, but there's kind of three things that have to happen. One is you must surrender your life to Jesus. If you have not done that, you don't have a chance to be holy as he defines it. You might, people say, well, I'm a good moral person. Maybe so. But that's not the holiness that is required. So if you haven't met Jesus, if you haven't really surrendered your life to him, then you don't have a chance of having that kind of holiness as a part of your makeup and your being. The second thing is that I must learn what Jesus taught us. So you guys, I'm I'm here telling you all the time, read the Bible. What does it say? I encourage you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John frequently. Why? Because those are called the Gospels, the good news. Those are the four books where Jesus is talking, the red letters, right? He's talking. Read those. 
If you read those, you will learn what he cares about and how to live a holy life. It's not always easy to do what he asks us to do. I don't like some of the things in this book. It makes it hard for me to live. But the third part of this, number one, I have to know Jesus. Number two, I have to know what Jesus said. Number three, I have to know what this Bible says. And so people who who think they don't have to know what this book says have been deceived because there's a ton of teaching in this book about how to live my life. And you don't, here's the thing. When I'm, when I'm in a discussion with someone who is not claiming to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, I would never use the Bible as a reference. It just makes them angry. Right? Because there's some harsh stuff in here. There's some stuff in this book that goes directly against the grain of our culture right now. And it just sounds awful to them. And that's why it's important for you to make up your mind who you're going to live for. Because if you're going to live for the Lord and you know what he says and you know what this book says, then all of a sudden you're putting yourself in a position that you need to work to put your heart in a place where you can run toward God and all that, all that ugly stuff falls off. Okay? So, so those are a few thoughts there. Now, there's kind of four steps in your outline there that, that I think lead us toward holiness in the culture that we're in, in today. I'm going to read one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I don't know, it might have been a, a decade or so ago. This just, I could not let go of this passage. It's in, write it down. I, I hope you'll read it every day this week. I'm challenging all weekend. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. It's five verses. I'm going to read it. And we're going to read it slow. It'll be on the screen. I just want you to take this in because this answers a lot of questions about our human nature and who God is and how to live holy. Some of you know this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Wow. I mean, if we stopped right there, that's enough. That, that's powerful when you think about it. Everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you, notice this, to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is not saying we become little gods. It's saying that when you ask Jesus into your life, you are inheriting a new nature, a peace of God. And that divine nature now comes into your being. And then there's a result of that. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And then he stacks them. Moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patience and endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Wow. I would like all of us to just make it a point to, to print that out and put it somewhere where you look at it every day for seven days. Just this week. And just read it. Read it to yourself. Read it to your kids. Read it in your family. 
just, just make it a point. And read it in as many translations of the Bible as you have. You know, your phone probably has 15 right on it. Just read through those five verses. And think about it and read it slow. It will impact your ability to live a holy life. So here's the four things. These are practical. The four things are like remember God is holy, number one. Remember that God is, in fact, holy. Um, two things about God. The Bible say God is love and God is holy. So God is not just a mushy lover of our soul where he's my best buddy and he rides around in the car with me. And Yes, he is a friend like no other, but he's holy. And there needs to be a healthy respect that he is God and he is without sin. He's more than your buddy. You understand what I'm saying? It matters. There's a, there's a wonderful kind of awe and fear that I have of God. Now, I did. I grew up in, in kind of a holiness movement, a, a very wonderful home. But we, had, we definitely had some legalism in, in, our, in our house. And anybody relate to that? I have four sisters, and I mean, it was a big deal how much makeup they would put on because that's worldly, ladies. Aren't you glad that's changed? Skirts had to be, you know, so, so low on their kneecap. It was, they didn't want us to be worldly. And I never really wore a skirt, so it didn't matter. I had a note, I think I've told you before, I had a note sent to school because they were, dance, they were doing dancing in gym class. And it was the hokey pokey. But I had a note saying that I didn't have to do it. And I'll tell you why. Because when you put your right foot in, you may never get it out, ever. It'll take your whole leg. So, so my friend Rosalyn, her dad was the pastor of the Baptist church. So, so her and I have, both have notes that we don't have to do the hokey pokey. So while all of our friends are doing the hokey pokey, we're stuck making out on the bleachers. Up, up, and, up and up. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there is a point to be made there. And the point is that sometimes we got all worked up about things that, that didn't really matter. And the things that really did matter, we didn't really care about. I've said before, I was taught not to have premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. Wow. Some of you are just getting that right now. <laughs> oh, God is holy. So we're not running away from that reality. He is holy. Number two, no secrets. This is a huge one. I mean, people have secrets in their lives. And you cannot pursue holiness when you have a secret life. You just can't. God always knows the truth about you. And this isn't meant to put guilt or shame on you. It's just a reality. Our culture actually teaches us how to hide stuff. And, and God doesn't want that for you and me. You know, identities that are not really you. Lies about who you are. Lies about stuff you've done or haven't done. It's not really you. I mean, how can you, have, how can you let that stuff slip and say you're pursuing God? Don't have secrets. Listen, secrets 
will destroy every healthy relationship that you could ever have with God or human beings. And why do we have them? Because we have some of these desires in our life that are either embarrassing or, or we don't want other people to know about them and so we stuff it and we hide it and we don't deal with what the real need is in our life. God can help us. Think of Adam and Eve. Okay, this goes way back to the garden in the very beginning. And it was perfect. It was perfect. God said, have a blast. Just this tree, don't, don't mess with this tree. <laughs> and they did. The Bible says that in the evening God would come and walk in the garden with them and hang out with them. And after they ate from the tree, God comes down in the garden, Adam, Eve. What'd they do? The Bible says they ran away and hid. Why? They had a secret. Transparency has no secrets. Now, I'm not suggesting you go tell your secrets to everybody. That could be a big mistake in your life. But at least take them to God. And start working on them and deal with them in a real and powerful way. Number three, run toward God, not just away from sin. This is another place where I I wish I could communicate this better than I feel like I am, but I'm going to try. People who, who try to just run away from their sin don't have much success. Because... They're not really running toward God. They're just trying to stop a bad habit. And, and what, I'm, what I've learned about this is it's kind of like when someone says, think of any color but blue. And you go, blue, yellow, red. But in, in your subconscious, it's still blue. Because that's the reason you're doing the exercise. And so what, what I think we have to do sometimes is I, I have to learn to pursue God more than just deal with my nasty habits. So instead of focusing on this habit, oh, I hate myself for doing this. Why am I doing this? I hate this about me. I want to change, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change it, I'm going to change it. You won't. Until you turn from that, it's called repentance, and you say, I have a God to pursue. I'm going to pursue this God with my whole heart, mind, body, soul, strength. And when I start doing that, guess what happens? This stuff starts to fall off. I'm not even going to look at it anymore. I might mess up occasionally, but I'm pursuing God. And that is very important because it's difficult to change a behavior when all I'm trying to do is change a behavior. I've got to do a heart check and pursue God and chase godly things. I can't just live trying not to mess up. I want to live trying to pursue God with everything I am. The fourth thing is a big question. It's a question that's impacted my life for years, and it's this. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? This is important because it's not just a statement of who I am or who I was or what I could be. It's a current analysis of where I am on the scale of who I have been. And that's why it's important because God always wants us to be chasing him and pursuing him. If I want a clear vision of God, and I desire him with my whole life and my whole heart, then guess what? That's going to impact my personal goals. Would you agree? They're going to be different if I'm really chasing God. It's going to impact the people that I'm willing to hang out with. I've had to say goodbye to some relationships because they drug me the wrong way. 
It's going to affect how I spend my money. Who am I becoming? Am I becoming more self-centered or am I giving it away? Am I paying attention? Am I a generous person? I want my kids to see that. It's going to impact what I do with my time. You guys, it's going to impact what I read, what I let my eyes look at. It's going to impact where I go. If I am in a pursuit toward Jesus, all of these things are a part of what I'm asking you to do today is to draw a new line in the sand and get the leaven out of your house. Get the leaven out of your house and burn it. Search it out. Go find it. Look in the nooks and crannies. And let God help you discover that. And once you burn it, then you turn and you say, I am chasing God. And God says, I am chasing you. I want you to come to me. Suddenly you're going to find the strength of the Spirit. You'll be able to overcome those things that have kept you trapped and held down. Why? Because this feast says, no more bondage for you. There is a place I have made for you called the promised land. You're not designed to live in bondage. You are designed to live in freedom. And that's what God wants for you. And that's why they celebrated this feast. And it's why we serve God today is because he gives us that freedom. Praise God, he does. I'm so glad. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we... We are so thrilled that we can pursue you with our free will. We can run after you so much that all these other worldly things just sort of fall off behind us. Our heart, our mind, our bodies, our strength. Do I really pursue you that much? Lord, I want to be hungry for that. Make us hungry. Help us to be hungry and diligent and vigilant to pursue the things of God in this life. Let the Lord speak to you right now. Would you just let him, let him talk to your heart? Let this, let this kind of filter down through your soul and your spirit, man. We're listening, Lord. What are you saying, Lord? I'm not going to ask you to lift a hand for anything today. I'm just going to ask you to ponder these truths and this, this, these passages. Read 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 7 this week over and over. And, and give yourself these seven days to chase God really hard. And see what happens to the stuff that you want to get rid of. Just see what happens. God's going to help you. Lord, I pray for strength and empowerment to help people through challenging times. Give us the courage to believe in your name and to walk in faith and to hold on to these truths that you've put in us today. Make us fearless in running toward you. Don't let anyone feel shamed or guilted into anything, Lord. But let the freedom of their soul ring today. <laughs> let your work build in us the us you made us to be. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.